I'm Susan Brown. I'm Michaela Joy O'Shea. And I'm Jay Yee. You're listening to Beyond the Fog Radio. Our podcast about the untold stories of San Francisco's long history from the people that have helped shape it. Whether you're new to San Francisco or have lived here your entire life, join us as we share the stories of our city by the bay. So, Jay, while you were away Mm -hmm. being a dad, Susan and I had an amazing opportunity to meet some of the coolest people in the Bay Area. Like, seriously, the coolest. It was such a special interview. Now, where did you go? We went to St. Francis Woods, which is a very, very unique neighborhood that hardly anybody knows about. Jay, have you been to St. Francis Woods? Yes, I've driven through it all the time, going across town on the southern side of town, which is a really cool drive because you you get to explore parts of the city that not even myself, who's native to San Francisco, spend any time at all. And the homes are gorgeous. It's the best time when you're a kid to drive in a car and count how many Christmas trees you see in the window. (laughs) I bet it's good for... Trick-or-treating, too, up there. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. It was my first time. I didn't even know St. Francis Wood was a place until we went to this interview. (laughs) Not a lot of people know it because it's right in there. It's right before San Francisco State, right after School of the Arts. It's kind of near the water. It's right before you get to, like, the Ingleside Terrace area. It's in a very unusual neighborhood where there's single-family homes little mini mansions. It was built way later than the rest of the city. So it has a totally different feel. It has gates on either end and a big street called Monterey that kind of goes, brings you to it. It's like this triangle that's somewhat wealthy, but it doesn't feel the same as Pacific Heights or even the marina. It's completely its own beast. Uh, Yeah, it has its own vibe. And maybe, I mean, for speaking of like, Neighborhoods that are kind of tucked away. This reminds me of like Seacliff, even in that it's tucked away. Now. And even Seacliff has its own vibe. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely felt that vibe. Same Seacliffy, but like one step below, like smaller houses. <laughs> no offense to anyone who, no offense to, who lives in Seacliff. Yeah. Right. I mean, I'm right <laughs> there if anyone Lord. wants to let me live there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't wait to see who you talk to. I know. Us neither. We're really excited to share this interview with everyone. We're it's very truly excited. Unique. Yeah. Welcome back to Exploring the Neighborhoods with St. Francis Woods. Now, we visited Greg Angelo Herrera, who's the founder and artistic director of the Greg Angelo Museum and Velocity Circus. Greg Angelo is a native to San Francisco and the owner of the museum, which was at one point his residence that over time was meticulously crafted and turned into this immersive theater. St. Francis Woods at one point in the early 1900s was just sand dunes and cabbage patch fields until the West Portal Tunnel was built. And now, just imagine rows of pastel-colored homes with perfectly manicured lawns and hedges. And then you come across this bright red home with white circus tent stripes. 
you found Greg Angelo's museum. Words can't describe the feast of senses that this house and its group of artists have created, and it's beyond one of a kind. Here's our interview that Michaela and Susan did while I was on paternity leave. My name is Greg Angelo Herrera. It's my last. I have two names, actually, but the first name is just along Greg Angelo. And I'm Marcelo, Marcelo de Freitas. Thank you both for joining us. I was born and raised in San Francisco. Um, my mom's Lebanese. My father's Mexican. I think they met on the Great Highway. He was a mission kid in, in the mission, auto mechanic. She was, you know, daughter of Lebanese immigrants. And they had a little corner store and tailor and working hard. And I want to say they met at a drag race on um, down at the beach. So maybe I was conceived in the backseat of a car. Who knows? <laughs> we'll see. That's my fantasy. <laughs> I shouldn't have said that. Sorry, mom and dad. <laughs> but, uh, and I grew up in the city. My fondest memories are growing up in the Chinatown. I went to Notre Dame de Victoire, a little French school on Pine and Grant. And yes. Really, I always said that's the neighborhood I grew up in. I spent nine years there, made the dearest friends who I'm still friends with to this day. You know, real family, real native San Franciscans. Went to SI because I didn't get into Lake Wilmerding. That's the school I want to go to. And when I got into SL, my mom was like, are you crazy? I can't afford that school. And, and, uh, she was a single mom at that time. And, and one of my uncles who had gone to the school and got kicked out said, well, let's give this kid a chance. And he stepped in and, and helped me through it. I'm sorry, what's SI? Is that San Francisco? St. Ignatius. St. Yeah. Ignatius. St. Ignatius, yeah. Okay. College prep. At that time, it was an all-boys college prep school. And I was like this crazy little art kid. And I did not fit in. But I found my niche there, and I loved it. I you know, got right into the theater and arts. was always in the arts. My dad, I think, who was an auto mechanic, used to sit me on the hood of you know these dirty cars he was fixing. And I'd be imagining like rainbows and stuff going on. He knew I had no interest. And finally, I remember, he said, I was maybe five. And I remember one day, he said, well, what do you, I know you don't like this. What, what are you interested in? And I remember really saying, I want to go to the symphony. Because the symphony had played at our school. Oh, I just thought it was wow. fascinating. And he brought me to the symphony that night. And then he loved it. Then we started going to every show, every community theater, every big theater that came to see it. And he started taking us to backroom improv shows in North Beach. That's incredible. It was incredible. And my dad's still alive. He's in his 80s now. 86. 86. Thank you, Marcelo. And one day I get into his car and he's listening to show tunes. I'm like, oh my God, Dad, you're such a queer. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, I learned it from you, son. <laughs> That's awesome. Awesome. Yeah, so that's really how, luckily being a San Franciscan, I was really never told I couldn't and was exposed to more arts than probably most you know, young people my age. And the city at that time, the 60s and the 70s, of course, was a very, very liberated place. I mean, that's, I'm sure you've heard a lot of that history already, but I'll never forget one. Being a little kid, you know, taking the bus on the corner of Castro Market and seeing the whole gay influx happening and the whole feminist movement and all the crazy nudists everywhere. Right, right. And I remember selling chocolate after school at NDV. You'd go door to door selling chocolate for their fundraiser and half the people would open the door naked and there's a party going on. Like, oh my God. <laughs> really? That's really a thing. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, growing up, my mom yeah. used to say, okay, you kids, when you go to a party, Make sure you ask the food is laced and if it's going to turn to a sex party. You're too young for that stuff. <laughs> that's how you, that's how you, hi, is this a sex party? <laughs> and you know what's funny is I was at a party recently with some French families and, and they did have some edibles on the counter and the kids started grabbing. Like, no, 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 don't touch those kids. Like, it's still happening. Wow. <laughs> Didn't turn into a sex party. No. Okay. <laughs> wow. Wow. 
that's crazy. But I mean, that's that's probably the era you were growing up in as it, well. It, it is, in, yeah. In but America. I wasn't allowed to go anywhere. <laughs> yeah, we, we were we were pretty free. <laughs> we were roaming the streets, and it was great to be, you know, and all of our friends in the Hate Ashbury at that time, you know, right after the Summer Love, and all the different neighborhoods and seeing the different people. And and what was cool about the city at that time, though, we see it all as this crazy liberated place but there are certain neighborhoods that were quite conservative correct and the neighborhood we're in right now was one of them yes and how the hell did i get here i don't <laughs> you know? know how did you get that's here? why we're here greg that's so this what we is know. yeah so this is we're on the west side of san francisco people know this st francis wood i'm technically on the wrong side of the track so this is called balboa terrace really so three doors down is st francis wood this side is called Balboa Terrace. It was all built at the same time. Oh, wow. Is Balboa, is that the street right no, there? No, this is Monterey, it? which is a strange okay. street that sort of takes a west turn. Okay. And it divides the two neighborhoods, which really was kind of envisioned around the same time. You know, there's all those history books now about the different neighborhoods in the city. I discovered that this house was all on sand dunes, like most of St. Francis would. This was a cabbage field, cabbage patch, I guess you call it, that would feed the city, which was over towards the north side of the city. So this was sort of agriculture and beach and kind of no man's land until they built. I didn't know that. Yeah, until they built the West Portal Tunnel. They built the tunnel and then this area became developed. Wow. Do you know when that was? That would have been probably in the 19-teens, somewhere in the teens, up to the 30s um, when it kept really getting developed. And and you can see as you go down slow, you'll start seeing houses that are looking from the teens. I think this house is more teens, 20s, and then. As you go towards the beach, it becomes like 30s, 40s, 50s. You can see it in the architecture. It's really? pretty cool. And how close to the beach are we? You can smell it. Oh. <laughs> but you can see it yeah. through the houses. <laughs> so really close. We're Maybe close. a half like a mile. Half a yeah. mile. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There's a whole, I mean, we can talk for hours about the history of the neighborhood, but it's pretty fascinating. A thing, Susan, that there's a little tie that we had that we didn't know we had is that at NDV, my sister, myself, both my sisters, we're all sharing classes with the Moscone kids. At the oh, time. Oh, yeah. So we all grew up with, with Gina and George Moscone right, exactly. before he was mayor. And then he became mayor while we were all in that school. And his four kids. Yeah. yeah. And, and we were all selling. I remember that day. We were all selling together at his house. was over here on yes. St. Francis Boulevard. Yeah. And we all were little kids. You know, we were in grade school at right, that time. Right, and then right. I think your dad was very good friends with him. Very close friends. And there's a little thing in this house, which I'm going to show you later, which I don't usually tell people. Apparently, and I don't know if this story is true, is that day that George became mayor... Your dad came up to him and gifted him a pair of roller skates and said, now that you're mayor, you really need to get around this city fast. <laughs> you know? And roller skating, it's come back. Yeah. You've always roller skated, but yeah. he became mayor in 70, 70 something. something. Because, and there's a photograph of him in his roller skates because he's rolling around. Well, uh, and those, ro- those roller skates are now on the wall in the house. So he gave those to his son, John. Right. And John and I, I used to roller I, skate. And then John gave them to me because I lived on skates all the time. He's like, um, here, take them. And, and John gave them to you. And I wore those things. I remember skating up Powell Street one day and the steel plate broke right in half. That's how hard I wore those things. Wow. And, um, and now they're kind of a, a relic on one yeah. of the rooms here. We call it the Earth Room, yeah. which is kind of very much a, a piece of the history of San Francisco. I think that's one of my favorite little pieces i don't usually tell that story yeah that's cool but, um, but, it, it, but we're all tied together somehow because yeah, you're friends you know? with john currently now right? yeah i haven't yeah. seen john for a long time but he also chose an art path which is yeah. interesting we cross paths once in a while yeah because he was doing, on, yeah. on our podcast too oh cool he's yeah. running your Buena for yeah. the arts we went to si together so yeah. we, used to, we used to always be in the school plays and the musicals together and all, so we were, we were yeah. close but um i, I should call him <laughs> <laughs> you should call him <laughs> 
And Marcelo, can you talk about this? I just I thought that was a great segue to kind of talk about where we are. Sure. In the you house know, is that okay? Well, I think you need to talk about the house, but let me give you a quick background. I was born in Brazil. Okay. I moved in here in '84, and I became a San Franciscan immediately. As, as we do, right? I know. We, it was I, I, for years and years. I had all these postcards of the Golden Gate Bridge. I remember driving the first time to the Golden Gate Bridge and, and crying. I couldn't <laughs> believe I was here. And it's been 40 years that I'm here and I love it. Different than Greg, I grew up with no much arts. I grew up in a ranch with cattle and sheep and horses and all that stuff. And so it's been, what, three years now that I actually run away with the circus. Yeah, I oh, always, he joined. So I, yeah. I joined. You have to explain that. So in the house, we actually, it's head. A lot of the artists call it circus headquarters. I ran a circus company as the offices out of the house for many years, and then the house eventually turned into an attraction, which we can talk about. But Marcelo actually hired our company, which was based here for an, a nonprofit event in Sonoma. I was running a nonprofit called La Luz Center. It's for the Latino community in Sonoma, and then I hired him to come in and do the the show for the event and three weeks later we were working together and that's why i said i'm running away with the circus if my mother would only dream on her coffin that i'd run away she would be freaking out and he's a, i gotta say he's a great ringmaster yeah. <laughs> he really is and that's how you two met yes we met, he hired me we met it was for a non-profit organization i've been producing shows for nonprofits for decades and I hate to say it, but they're usually what we call shit shows in the industry because everyone, no one lets you do your job. Everyone thinks they know how to do it better and it's always a mess and they never raise as much money as they should and this and that. And I've always come in with ideas and they, you're just a lowly artist. Shut up and, you know, dance for us, boy. So at this one, he called us a year in advance, which is highly unusual, gave us a very sizable sum of money to get these artists prepared, which is very unusual. He let us do our job. I realized when we walked in, there was no silent auction. There was no raffle. It was just joyful and entertaining. He let us do our job. When we got to the part where I thought there'd be an auction, I'm like, all right, you guys, you're probably going to have to warm up 10 times before this thing's over. And probably you're going to be performing to the backs of people head leaving or their faces are in their plate because they've had it. Well, he walks out on stage and 15 minutes, raises a half million dollars. Every single person in that room was able to give from 25000 to 100 bucks. Everyone felt included. It was super inclusive. We did our show, I did our meet and greet out in the audience, walked back, handed in the microphone and said, I have never seen anybody do this before. I've always dreamt it. It's amazing. And he's like, I heard you have this really cool house in the city. Can I come over? I'm like, yeah, I'll come over next week. And then we start working together. We start producing together. That's amazing. I didn't know that. Yeah, it was was pretty amazing. And then we had all these incredible work jobs, all these gigs that we were going to do and COVID came. But like for everyone, it derailed it. But, uh, but for as, us more than anybody yeah. else, I think. It's a silver lining. So let's go look backwards a little yeah, bit right. because our audience, they're not physically here. They can't okay. see what we're doing. So the and house. So <laughs> the tell, house, yeah. Describe where we but are. But before you tell us about the house, okay. tell us what you were doing before that. You were you said you were had a circus company. How did that happen? Yeah, I, I had a circus company. when I was Part of going back to my youth when I was in high school at SI, I jo- I'm half Lebanese, and I joined a Mediterranean dance company called the Aswan Dancers. And they did a folkloric dance from the Middle East and North Africa. And I trained, trained, trained. And I remember walking in one day and the choreographer, Amina Goodyear, said, I want to teach the men in the group, not called the Whirling Dervish, but we're going to do a North African, a Egyptian version of it. And I was young enough, I was still whirling in the playground. I was a kid. 
And she trained me for three years, sent me to Egypt. I learned the music, the drumming, the rhythm. And that act over years, it became kind of famous. I landed a little gig at a supper club called Pasha, which is now where Berber is today. I had a Saturday night show there. I didn't even know I... I was a kid. I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. I just did it. Wow. And all of a sudden, other artists started coming to me going, how are you doing this? I'm like, I, I don't know, but I need help. And I would just start getting help from artists. And before you know it, I was like, well, I need to push this act a little bit further. And I would create these fanciful costumes. And I kept getting fired from Pasha because like, oh, no, no, this is supposed to be ethnic, not... You're not supposed to be a flying saucer or whatever the heck I did. So so after the third time they fired me, I was like, okay, bye. And one of my dance partners said there's a circus school in the city called, I think at that time it was called the San Francisco School of Circus Arts. It was in a little church up on top of Tur Hill. And I started training Ariel. I'm like, wouldn't it be great if I can get this act in the air? And I started meeting circus artists. Well, I never did get the act in the air. But I created other acts and still do to this day. In fact, I think we're going to our studio today to create a new act. And that little dervish act started this whole thing. There's a painting up here that you can see. The whirling dervishes in the middle. And there's all these artists around it. That was a show called Heliosphere, which was a journey through our solar system where we used the physics of each planet and the pieces of the cosmos to match the physics of the circus acts that we were doing. I joke about it. We've done shows as big as that. And then we've done a show that was about a banana. So I just, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) We have. So, but, but everything started with the Whirling Dervish. It all started with oh the Whirling God, Dervish. Oh, my God. I had no idea. Yeah, it started with the Whirling Dervish. And I still am a Dervish. I haven't had a lot of chance to perform lately. I'm going to start training again. We just did a little workshop for a youth theater in the city. But it all started there. This house started there. The business started there. For those of you who don't know what a Whirling Dervish is, I that suppose. That was my next question. Yes. So, I mean, <laughs> I think I think in colloquial terms, in layman terms, it's it's like a person who exudes like this incredible energy and does, does things. When I think both Marcelo and I, I can say, are Whirling Dervish in that sense. But traditionally, it roots into this sort of a mystical Sufi brotherhood where it was, you know, there's many definitions of it. My definition, it was these sort of mystic men that probably didn't fit in so well with the indoctrinations of the religions of the time. So they just sort of formed their own sort of mystic brotherhoods, mostly men. And a lot of scientists, poets, artists, thinkers, deep thinkers. And somebody, they somehow traced it to Rumi or somebody, I don't know who it was. I don't like to ever be historically accurate because we don't know. But somebody figured out scientifically that by whirling our body, we're imitating the whirling of the planets on its axis. And they created this dance where there would be somebody in the center that play the sun and then the men around would play the planets and by whirling they would go into these ecstatic states and you really do when i was training you go into these ecstatic states i've never done drugs and people ask me why that's probably why i also joke that i probably huffed a lot of glue and paint making this house <laughs> but, uh, but it just sort of makes you one it's the ultimate way of being i guess to say and i do a secular version it's certainly mystical but it, it's wow. also secular so that's what a dervish is. And it's really imitating everything from a subatomic particle that's spiraling to our own circulatory system, to the planets, the stars, the solar system, the galaxies. Likely the universe itself is in some sort of rotating how pattern. Long, how long do you spin for? Well, the act itself is four minutes. When I was training, sometimes I'd go for hours, you know. Wow. It was, it's a, for it's, hours? It was, oh, it was a wow. severe training. I'd always eat a burrito. My secret was I'd eat a burrito right before it keep me grounded. Yeah. <laughs> so it would fly go. away. <laughs> I'm envisioning kind of like a Doctor Strange where he's like whirling all, you know, like kind of, a probably like that. Well, I think, of, I think a lot of artists kind of yeah. use this whirling dervish as a source of inspiration. It's kind of cool. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm not Sufi. I'm not a part of any brotherhood. I got criticized for it for a while. 
So what I did is I started spinning the other direction. I'm like, see, I changed it. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> that, okay I love that. I love that so, about you because you're super fluid. So you can just say, someone complains, you're like, ah, it's done. not blue, it's red. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. Play it all you Let's want. Let's move on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's always something. In this, yeah. You know, in the arts, they're always going to complain about something. Something. But, uh, yeah. But that, but that's that would I say is the source uh, of it, and it's still the energy that's used to attract you know the artists here. This house is somewhat of a it's an entity, it's somewhat of a vortex, and it's true. I don't know how to explain that. Where do you want to go from there? Uh, you know what? It's it is a vortex, and when you when these guys were coming, when we were coming today, they both said. What's the background? He said, you don't need the background. You're just going <laughs> to get there. Like, it's going to blow your socks <laughs> off. And then you're going to ask questions naturally because that's how it is. It's inviting. It's amazing. But it's, it's welcoming. It's very much like falling through the rabbit hole. Oh, yes. That's the name of our new tour is Into the Rabbit Hole. And that's some of the construction you're seeing outside in front is we're getting preparing for that new. People use the word immersive theater. Well, I didn't know that that's what we've been doing for 40 years. Until about four or five years ago, so there was an immersive theater conference, I think, on Moscone or somewhere. And I got invited to be a speaker. I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I don't do immersive theater. And they're like, you know, yeah. You're like, you created it. <laughs> no, actually, they told me that. I'm yeah. like, I didn't know. I had no idea. Like, apparently, you're the one in San Francisco. I'm like, I had no idea that's what it was called. I just called it going to work. But now we're more consciously working with writers and artists to, to really create quite evocative experiences. And Marcelo leads one of them. And if May I allow him yeah, to explain please. that one? Yes, you know, the Riddle of the Sphinx. That's the, the tour that I lead. And it's a beautiful tour. It's a tour that actually you, Susan, said you're going to come back for it. I am going to come back with a, yes. with a friend of mine. Yes, and I'm ready for that. Okay. Uh, it's evocative. It goes deep. And as is, you see in this house, you see all this art, and the same thing happens outside, but it's not really about the art, even though the art is there. It's about you. It's about your life experience. I can't tell much more about the real well, because otherwise I will spoil it. But, yeah, but you can tell about yeah. what, how it started, how you had to pivot during, yeah, during so, COVID. So yeah, like all artists and entertainers and people in the public performing arts, we fell off a cliff and then had to not land. So we did pivot quickly. I always say there's miracles happen everywhere if you allow them to, and I do allow them to. And I would say within three or four weeks after that closure in March or whatever it was, and I don't want to focus on that too much, we suddenly had a lot of high school and college studio artists and writers here that were like, and theater kids from ACT, youth program. They all closed and they didn't give them any option. I'm like, I have a little bit, I'm, all I'm hearing is that we have to be outside six feet apart with masks. I've got the space. We can do it. Well, the neighbors started giving us their driveways. The neighborhood association let us use the public easement. Really? And they're like, do your thing. This is what you do. Oh, that's fantastic. And before you know it, we had about 35 young artists, high school, college kids that were, and I realized, oh, we don't have money for materials. One girl, particularly, was going around the streets, picking up twigs and created these sculptures, which I'll show you outside of Mother Nature of Pan. And, and these kids, and they started making mosaics. And one, Aaron Vasquez, was our intern from the Ruth Sauer School of the Arts as a writer, wrote The Riddle of the Sphinx, which was completely... It's so wise, this whole thing. And this was written by a 19-year-old at the time. And, and the riddle of this thing goes through life. It starts in the garden of youth and innocence. Um, in your childhood, it goes to the garden of adulthood and sensuality. And then the final phase is the garden of wisdom and death. So literally, the guests become the main character in the story. So it goes through their lifetime. This tour is completely about whoever shows up. We're just the guides. 
and Aaron's now writing other things. So that was just kind of moving and miraculous to see these young, thriving, beautiful, miraculous artists who their wealth was their creativity. Which is incredible. It was incredible. What a gift. There was no money in the world. There was nothing. And, and once I want to tell, in fact, I talked about it, San Francisco's full of, you know, monetary wealth and this and that. I worked for Fortune 500 companies. I did all that stuff for years. Not one person asked, how are we? Nobody. Not one person said, how are you doing? I hope you're still around when we get out of this. Nobody. I didn't think about it until one woman who I know, who's, who's the mother of one of our artists who lives in Section 8 housing down in Hayes Valley, started bringing us food every week. Every week. I didn't, I never asked. She, she would give us boxes of food and said, I love what you're doing with these kids. I'm like, how do you know what you're doing? You don't even know what I'm doing with these kids. I don't even know what I'm doing with these kids. She's like, I know you're doing something. Every week would bring us food. Wow. And fed these kids for two years. Wow. And this is somebody who had no money, no means, but again, displayed such wealth. It was just incredible to, incredible. to have these realizations of that. You know? Yeah. It's, a, it's amazing. It right? is amazing. It's amazing. It's, it's amazing right? And all these kids were all local in this neighborhood? Uh, no. Some of them were from the Sunset. They were coming from you know, around. Some from Oakland. Some Berkeley, from Oakland. Yeah. Some from downtown areas. So you spread a little yeah. bit. Oh, yeah. And it was yeah. a mix of kids that were coming here. That was the other thing. Some, you yeah. know, some were from millionaire families. Some were from Section 8 housing. And it was like, they all created together. And, and no one knew the difference. And, and how did you know? they find How did they find, yeah. I was say <laughs> that's a miracle. Well, that's, yeah. you know, I don't know. So there's how do they find out? Oh, you, we we speak and it happens. <laughs> <laughs> I always say speaking into existence. I, I, I always said, "Oh my God, you're crazy!" And he, he, we talk about we need something and it shows up. Yeah. In this house, I don't know how, but it does. And they That's show amazing. up. That's yeah. amazing. It is amazing, and it's just I don't know. I suppose what's the word? In, in the most secular, non-religious way, I think it's faith of just like really fully without any hocus pocus, voodoo, mysticism, just really knowing that there's going to be somebody out there that we can raise each other up somehow. Yeah. Well, I think it's I your passion yeah. for the arts. Yeah. And that's what I wanted to bring it up because, we, I mean, he's been doing tours in the house for many, many years. And when COVID came, he was quiet for two weeks. Oh. I never seen this man like that for two oh, weeks. Wow. He wouldn't talk. He was gone somewhere else. And little by little, we started talking, what can we do? Can we, you know, and we, we brought some... Well, he lives up on a ranch in Sonoma. So I, I'm a total city kid. Yeah. So he's there with hundreds of animals, horses, chickens, geese, the whole deal. I've, I've never even had a dog, you know what I mean? So this was a new experience. <laughs> I mean, for real, you know, yeah. for real. I was like, and I know better than to don't touch city dogs because that's like their lover. I'm like, okay, whatever. But you know how it is. Be careful. <laughs> Just don't mess with them, whatever. Yes. Again, I respect that. So here we're in this wilderness and he, he lives in the forest and we're walking around the property I forget, it was maybe in the fall or something. Yeah, and you, you know? love the mossy There's, rocks. Everything's covered in moss and these rocks. And I think I asked, can I bring a few of these rocks to the property? They're so beautiful. Before and you know, we have a tractor full of rocks. Right. <laughs> <laughs> They're spread out. Oh, my gosh. And, and that's how it started. Yeah. And then you start thinking, let's build a... Literally stone soup. You know that story of stone soup? Yes. It literally yeah. started yep. with some rocks and then all these, and then artists were bringing twigs and then artists were bringing glass and then other artists who no longer wanted to be in their business were giving us piles of art materials. And then the artists showed up and we turned them into things. And, um, but ultimately, the art's miraculous, but it's the story that weaves it together. And that's the purpose of the whole house is the artist functioning as 
somewhere in this art is your story. And it's just waiting to come out. And it's a very liberating experience. It's very freeing. It's ultimately about acceptance and really what it's about in this humankind we live in, which is becoming quite divided politically through indoctrinations and what, whatever the heck it is, philosophies, whatever you want to call it. The art here only shows what we have in common. That's all it does. So it doesn't matter who you are or what your background is or what your culture or creed is. This house is only going to show what we have in common. And that wasn't a conscious decision. It just kind of keeps happening that way. Therefore, nobody ever has an opportunity to fill the room with hate or, or whatever. It's like if, if you're two sides, two different teams, it's just you talking about the commonalities is all it is. So that's been the blessing and the attraction, I think, without knowing it. Do you think that is what immersive theater immersive arts is because you're completely overwhelmed by what's happening around you that you don't have any room for those ugly probably things. i think yeah i don't know the answers yes i have i'm full of questions like you are so yeah. likely yes do you uh, have music playing as well yes. so it's even more sensory we always have specific? Yeah. what i call a soundscape there's music kind of beneath you know the voices it's there i, I know that i'm a musician also i know that music changes the mood uplifts yes. the mood there's nothing worse than we go to these shit show events that we didn't produce and there's no music and there's no nothing and people are tense but as soon as there's music it yeah. There's a calm and there's a connection it changes and it, it's the vibration of the yeah, room. The it vibration. raises the vibration it does. much higher. It everyone's it. calmer and happier. Immediately. And that's why I love what we do together because we, for the first time in the history of this business, I've been around almost 40 years, where I never said no because I had to support these artists. And we couldn't always do our best work because of all the rules and regulations, whatever, the fear, whatever you want to call it. But this guy started saying, no, I'm like, no, no, you can't say no. And he's like, no, we're saying no. And all of a sudden it made room for really coming into these mostly nonprofit organizations and starting to be corporations again and just raising the spirits genuinely without all their HR fear bullshit stuff. Yeah. It's just, just, we're not there to do anything other than connect to you, make you feel good, whatever the arts do for everybody everyone's going to interpret it differently but you can't govern it it just happens on the spot yeah it's free you know? it's free it's free We're it's cre it's that's why it's creative that's exactly that's why they invited <laughs> you in the first place <laughs> yeah. yeah so it's been really wonderful to reemerge without the agony and grief around it and the fear around everything and that, we also you know? didn't stop doing covid we, we never stopped we worked through yeah. the entire covid we, we did it everything outdoors Right. Yeah, we, we created uh, shows. seasonal shows that were full on immersive theaters. Uh, I laughed because I used to always be, I'm not a man who has any jealousy in me, but I used to be sort of um, professionally jealous of some of these businesses that have lines down the block. And I'd be like, you guys, we have a line down the block. <laughs> <laughs> they're socially distanced, but they're down the block. <laughs> wow. it, it was pretty cool. So we started doing shows. Typically in our business, we do three to five shows a day. Well, we started doing 22 shows a day for one pot at a time, which meant sometimes it was for two people. But we put out, we gave. Wow. We, it was amazing. People are basically doing laps around the house and the garden. It's like, next, next. And they were all wow. getting the same experience and musicians and dancers and acrobats and storytelling. It was amazing to see these artists just step up and continue to. You know, right, now, exactly. now, that, now their doors are open again and their colleges and stuff. You have to imagine, you know, we're older now, but these they miss these formative times of their life. Yeah. I mean, it was, it's hard to, I mean, I didn't have to imagine it because I was with them and, I, and I'm not a teacher or a mentor or any of that. I'm just a doer. So we just 
did it together, you know, so I'm glad I had the energy going no, back to no, the dervish. that's marvelous. People that you work with just happen on your doorstep. They just find you. Well, how do we find each other? <laughs> yeah, how do you know each other? Someone asked me that, and I actually can't remember. I think it, it was through um, Annette, who was working, working at the Annette, School of the Arts. of course. It was through the School of the Arts. Yeah, so my really good yeah. friend, right. Annette, is the costume designer for Soda, for School of the Arts. Okay. And did you come to one of her shows? No, I, I remember because we were out at a mixer, one of those business mixers somewhere. I don't okay. know what it was. Somewhere out in the city. And Annette was there and she recognized because I had always, usually had interns in there. Annette was the first person to give us an intern from the school because she would be like, there's a student that's exceptional. She needs to get out of the professional world. So Annette would do that for us. So we met at some something, some, some mixer kind of somewhere, and I think some. I don't remember how you. I probably just invited you over, like probably, I always do. Yeah. Like, come over, <laughs> come over to this weird man's house. <laughs> and is never why the gray van parked in front. <laughs> uh, is School of the Arts near here? Yes, yes it's just it's down the hill. So here. that makes sense that it would be. Yeah, they would feed you people. Yeah, they don't always. I mean, our last one she found it was a Sada, a girl, um, great family, native San Francisco girl in the Hunters Point area. And she is just a shining star, Sada, if you're out there, whatever you're doing. She moved to Chicago. She wanted to go to the School of the Arts, but I think she's starting her own sort of magazine or business right. about females and black and art and something. I have to catch up with her. Amazing. But it's amazing to see the arc of... I always say I'm a stepping stone for thousands of people. And I'm like, keep stepping on me. I'll just make your way. You know what I mean? It's been a great place to be the stepping stone for people. In fact, during one of our shows, our winter show, which was called Solstice, one of the young artists, I think she was 13 or 14. Who are you talking about? Emma. Emma, yes. Yeah, yeah she is on the um, new um, Luca film. Well, what it's is... not new anymore, but at the time it was. It's um, the, the Pixar newest. film. She was one of the main characters. Yeah. Voices really? In the oh, Pixar really? Film. Wow. Which, so it's just amazing to start. She film? was here for one season. Oh, Luca. Yeah. I haven't seen that one yet. Yeah, she was here yeah. for one show. Then we cast her for the second show. She said, I, am, I actually cannot do it. But she wouldn't tell us why. <laughs> then the mom tell us later, yes, she She's is like, the main character. I'm fancy. <laughs> yeah, she is. She's come back in another show it. since then. But yeah. like, she has worked with us again, yes. Oh, that's fantastic. Because oh, we do all original material, so it's not any breach of, of anything. Right. Oh, good. You know? And then yeah. your friend who also works here, Darkia? Darkia. That's a, Dark is one of my favorite stories. Okay, so Dark, tell that story. I, I have a lot of Mongolian nationals who work here, starting with the circus company. So Mongolia's high form of art is contortion. Mm. So I would sponsor artists to come here for the shows, specifically in contortion. From Mongolia, or is there a community in San Francisco? Both. Okay. So there, I met Serge Mabiamba, who now has a school of contortion here. I met in the city, I forget how I met her, but ended up sponsoring her and helping her to green card and establishing herself here. And then she opens up a school. So this stuff is very exciting to me. Well, Darkia was from Mongolia. She was in the National Army Ballet or something, and they were doing a world tour. They came to America. I forget what state. It wasn't California. Searchman invites her to San Francisco. They had a week off. So Darkia's like, I'll come and doesn't, you know, really from Mongolia, doesn't speak a word of English, comes to the house for some sort of photo shoot or something. She's been here for 22 years. Oh, <laughs> that was it. Do you think that's you or do you think that's San Francisco? It's all of it. Yeah. Oh, no, it's definitely San Francisco and, and the opportunity that's here. But if you, I mean, just if we looked at the arc of her life and continuing on the arc of it, it's, I use the word miracle quite generously because I see it happen all the time. It's not some little thing that may or may not happen. It'll happen if you let it. Yeah, and I think the beautiful thing about this museum is that we are all artists. 
but we all contribute somehow in a different way for the museum. So I will write checks. I will do talk to PG&E, but I also going to act or do different things. Darka is an incredible dancer. She also does costuming. She became our master makeup artist. I noticed she, she, when she was doing her makeup, I was like, that's exquisite makeup art. Most makeup artists can't do what you do. So I started having her do other artists. Well, now she's a professional makeup artist in San Francisco. So it's really just amazing to see these artists just blossom. And it's, she, it's very cliche to say that yeah. it's, it is a family because everybody really contributes somehow, but you still can you know, do your artistry. I call her Magic Hand. She's done a lot of the mosaic in the house. And we haven't quite defined the house. So this house is a house in St. Francis Wood, Balboa Terrace. It's a house probably built in the teens. When I got it, it was a dilapidated mess. It had been a rental property for years. There was literally, this room, there was plaster on the ground. Uh, it was molded out in areas. When it rained, believe me, it filled with water. It, it, was, wow. it, it was a mess. It, it just had not been taken care of. And I was in college, and I started just kind of fixing it up. Actually, I remember that my first thing I fixed up was the fireplace that caved in. Like, just went right into it the basement. It caved in. It just caved in. Went right to the basement. I'm like, well, that can't be safe. <laughs> <You know? laughs> wow. And um, another room caved in, which is one of the favorite rooms in the house. So my brother walked into the room and literally, like, fell through the floor. It was that kind of rotted out. And I have not changed the footprint of the house, but there are now, we counted the other day, there are 27 full-on installations or rooms, storyboards is what I call them, and growing all the time. We still work on the house three days a week with the artist. But it's just an old San Francisco property that has become an international arts immersive theater attraction, I guess are the right words. I don't know what to call it because I don't think it's any of that. People call it the Greg Angelo Museum, which always makes me cringe because it's not a museum to me. I just happen to be the energy behind it. It's a museum to you, to everybody in the world who shows up, who's brave enough to show up. And it's in the most unusual place in the city this this side of the city most san franciscans don't even know about so yep, that, that's what true. makes it really interesting you know that's <laughs> today this is our first true. time on in this yeah. neighborhood yeah. So, so it's really most people think they're in the wrong place they're yeah. like you know it's so that's kind of part of the intrigue of it so so you why know? here and how did you find this house and when was that when that this... was in the 80s i think i was still in high school at the time maybe even going into high school at the time my mom divorced my father quite young i think i was 10 or something I think I was 13 or 14 by the time I got here. And I was already working in the arts. I was very independent. I was working for a catering company doing all their um, platters and three <laughs> <history laughs> stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I'm working for this Japanese gallery. I was doing whatever I could, like in the arts. And then I was also training all the time and, and rehearsing. And I just sort of lived here and I was paying rent and this and that. I'd fix it up as I went. I wasn't even paying attention. There's a room called a green room. And I'm kind of diverting a lot, but I remember coming in after a show with my dervish equipment and walking down the hall. And as I was walking down the hall, one of the plaster walls fell. <laughs> it just fell. Oh just like crumbled. It like literally just wow. crumbled. And I kind of looked and I went in and I had some plywood downstairs and I kind of patched it up. And I had this epiphany. I'm going to paint this room green. I had just bought this can. It was called Tylo Green. It was some new kind of overly pigmented paint. I was like, I'm just going to paint it green right now. And, uh, and I realized, shit, I don't have a paintbrush i didn't even have a paintbrush so i just remember taking off my shirt and like ripping it up and just spending the night in there then my brother who's living here is like what are you doing it's four o'clock in the morning you're like naked in the middle of this room shut up you know? <laughs> <laughs> so you guys bought this house or you, you me just and my acquired brother, so it i bought 
me and my brother at that time bought, I think I bought like 90%. He bought 10%. Okay. So it was in the 90s. So when, yeah. I, when he wanted out, it had doubled in price. So his 10% was like worth a lot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So I'm still paying for that. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. But yeah, we eventually bought it. I still don't own it. You know, there's still a mortgage, but you know, I don't worry about that kind of stuff. And then I probably spent another eight months refining it and then years figuring out what the hell is this story you know so that was the first room to be it wasn't the first the first one was the room it's the earth room but that was it was all made out of paper and newspaper clippings and wrapping paper it was like this kind of mosaic of paper because I, I never had money but i had okay. passion yeah okay you know so they just made it and then you know then you rip it out you do it again now you know once by the time we start doing work like this in mosaic it's more permanent though we still do change it we're actually changing one of our mosaic things right now. Because it's literally, when you walk in, you realize that every single room, the way that I describe it is I'm like, every room is its own separate environment. It is. And it's it tells its own, its own separate story. Your own story. And then I say, <laughs> after that, I can't describe it. You have to come with me sometime. And that's, you know what? I describe it the same way, Susan. I don't know. People always want me to shove my phone in their face and show them pictures. I'm like, I'm not showing you anything. Just you have to come. show up. Just and the energy. Them, you know. The energies are different in well, each space, too. And, and yeah. the energy oh, of who's here. Right. It, it changes the energy of us together as a group. You know, I think as soon as you walk in, it's just a different energy for everybody. How yeah. often do you think the rooms have been changed? Oh, wow. Well, there's one room I know where everyone gravitates. I call it the dorm room. They gravitate to there as their office where we all kind of sit. has probably been changed 15 times. And, and actually, this is a good San Francisco story. Thank you for that question. Sure. That room happened during the AIDS epidemic and during that the earthquake that was pretty devastating here in the 89. city. 89. 89. So my friend's father was one of the guys that got crushed in the Bay Bridge structure oh my God. on the other side. And then I had a lot of friends that were dying of AIDS. Like my partner died of AIDS. So oh. it was a very intense time. And being me, I turned within and I... For some reason, I started that room called the Dawn Room. Dawn Room. I didn't have a name for it at the time, but for some reason, that room, I just ripped it out and did it and then ripped it out and did it and ripped it out. And it probably happened. So during that whole period, the AIDS, for some reason, that room kept being the one that I would take it out on. <laughs> yeah, you were processing through uh, your grief. Grief or whatever, yeah. whatever, whatever it is. But it kept being this very positive story. And it's funny because that's the room that everybody wants to be in. And it's a small room. And that's where all the artists work at that table. But it's very powerful because those stories, I would say that's kind of almost what inspired the whole house was grief. Yeah. And, oh. and, and But getting to the acceptance fairly, it's never quick for any of us. Oh, no. But, but getting there, you know, getting to that tunnel. And how beautiful that the room ended up being called the Dawn Room because I think Dawn is this, you know, moment of realization and acceptance and all the things that help us to connect as human beings. Yeah, so that's, that's the art in the house. You that's know? incredible. So that's 1989. How yeah. structured was the house at that point? It was all over the place. It was the what I call the eclipse room, which is the room right there. The music room is kind of the heartbeat of the house. I, I was always working on that. As you can see, I like a lot of ancient Egyptian art. Yeah. And I, and I was lucky enough to be also getting commissioned by museums to do shows in tandem with the exhibits. So a lot of these rooms kind of came up with me. You know, they'd always tell me, you have to be historically accurate, this and that. And I'd be like, what does anybody know about history? It's all propaganda. So I, I would take liberty here to be absolutely not historically accurate, historically fictional or whatever is how I say. And I would change the colors and I would lock myself in the room and I would try to paint with no lights like they were doing in Egypt and use mirrors to get the light in the room and really try to get in the mindset of these tomb painters and artists that were doing it. 
And by doing that, I really learned a lot. It was painful. Actually, I remember being in physical pain doing these rooms because I was trying to do it the ancient way. And, and therefore, I was able to bring more contemporary type of immersive experiences to the museums. So basically, our job was to get non-museum goers interested in going to the museums. And it's very easy to do with these blockbuster ancient Egyptian things because there seems to be a global interest in the mystery of it all. You know, King Tut or whatever. I've done other things besides that. So, and many of the stories in the rooms come from children. When children come, they're more, I'm not intellectual at all. I'm very intuitive in my work. I learned the stories, but I don't even know how to articulate them. But kids would come and be like, oh, they would define it. This is that from that era. Or this room makes me feel happy and joyful. Oh, this room makes me sad. Oh, this room. And the kids are so free that I started building the stories around the feelings and the stories of children really resonated with adults later. In fact, I used to have to separate the kids and the parents. I'd be like, can you make sure your parents behave over there? Because they're, <laughs> they're not free. <laughs> Look, they're always like, don't touch them. I'm like, whatever, stop. This is all yeah, this place exactly. is about. Yeah, like, you, exactly. just kill, cause I want to hear their stories, you know. Yeah. That's still my joke when the kids come around. I'm like, were your parents behaving? And be like, <laughs> or sometimes I call them their servants. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah, it's true. It's they look funny. at me I'm like, they, that's your driver, right? Your cook? <laughs> right. Washes your clothes. It's all of it. Yeah. <laughs> I have a question, actually, about yeah. the people that come through here. Is it all walks of life? I'm going to let Marcelo answer that. People who are San yes. Francisco natives, yes. people um, out of town. A lot of tourists. Yeah. Um, in fact, now recently, all the tourists are coming. Yeah. yeah. But there are a lot of San Franciscans. Yeah. Uh, and from the Bay Area. Yeah. They all come. They're all mostly families. You know, families, of, yeah, couples, a lot of first dates. You have good stories about people that come on dates. And I'm going to call one of some <laughs> girls. So I've been doing tours for years, and this one woman, she'd come up from Arizona. Her name is Orchid. Orchid, hope you're out there. And she would, about every six or seven months, come with a new date. <laughs> Finally, like the seventh time. Okay, like, that's hilarious. <laughs> hilarious. So, so she's, she's bringing people for, she's, the, for the first date. Yeah, yeah. and she is to like, impress she's them. literally not trying to impress them. She is like, she's what's working, the word? Working them out. She's oh. working them out. How they feel here. Oh. It's so yeah. evocative. Yeah. Like, that's like, the test. It's the totally test. testing them too because, yeah. because the questions are so earnest and so true right. that she goes she's like there's no better place i can take them than here right. because it's also wildly entertaining yeah you peel know? off all those first oh, weird oh, layers of getting to know each other i have other a sign that says leave all bags and baggage at the door yeah and, you know, <laughs> yeah doesn't mean the sign's gonna work but that's how she would figure out you know like how how well do, I'm like you know it was kind <laughs> of amazing she going a second date or not for that? Yeah. Curate, not curate she's um Testing. There's a word. I yeah, I don't a, know what the word is. You know, I'm gonna think of it. But in a she's yeah. so she's bringing her first dates here. That yeah. is wild. So now we're trying to use our social media person. I'm like, let's get people on, here on dates because they yeah. can actually figure it out. You know. And in fact, so when I, I start, that. usually the tours, I always ask, "How long you've been together?" And people have been together for 40 years, 10 years, five years, 50 years. Or, and a, I or say, a day. Or, or a day. <laughs> An hour. An and hour. I say, it doesn't matter how much you know of each other. You today, by the end of this tour, you're going to know a little more that you didn't know about each other. And it always happens. It does. Another anecdote was I remember having a, a married couple. They're probably they're older couple, maybe married 40 or 50 years. And the earth room, I think at that time, was the last room of that tour. I don't remember the question. Whatever the question was, I remember the wife looked at the husband and said, I had no idea that about you and just burst into tears and a couple that's married for 50 years in this one moment this revelation that completely changed her view of her husband came up so it's really kind of 
again, a miracle of, of seeing people just be genuine, honest, earnest, without all the bullshit. Which, which yeah. gives them an opportunity to blossom. To blossom. Oh, to well, blossom. Well, that's the word. Unfold, you know, right? Just they unfold. get to just, just be who they are. And, and in fact, during COVID, Aaron Vasquez wrote a new show here called Crepuscula. And it was with different characters. And it went through the five stages of grief. And they're actually writing a novel that takes place in the house, sort of an allegorical novel, kind of a, a thing that happens here. It goes through grief. And after we wrote it, we never produced it. I'm like, well, how do we sell this thing? And, and I'm like, you can't sell grief. I'm like, let's call it Grief, the musical. And then, <laughs> <laughs> but I think at this time, we see so much grief among humankind. Yeah. Not among the animals. We see it among humanity. It's all humanity. And I keep saying the earth is going to shake us off like a bunch of fleas. But I think we're going to figure out a way to kind of people can, you know, maybe we get some sort of qualified art therapist or something where they can do this journey. It's still entertaining. We, we never talk about grief in it. And we never tell you what phases you're going through. I forget the phases, people. I'm not a psychologist, but no, it goes I through I, I wouldn't think there's anger five. to acceptance, something. Denial. Yeah, I, know, I know those two, yeah. but I don't know the middle. <laughs> Whatever's in the middle. <laughs> That's the real hard stuff. <laughs> it's, but it's, so the, yeah. the whole experience is working through that. So it's very intimate. So these kind of tours uh, or experiences we do, you know, they're private. They're for people that know each other because you're not going to let loose usually among strangers yeah, with that. Not, and yeah. it's like Susan yeah. was saying, people blossom because they come in and it's 90% of the time is they come in and they have a wall. They're very rigid. They don't want to talk. They don't want to open up. By the end of the tour, they're hugging, they're kissing, they're crying, they're laughing. And it's a blossoming, like you're saying. Space for people to feel vulnerable yeah. Oh, yeah. and protected. Yeah. And, but it, I had and this just, running joke that the ones that actually love the most that hug me and say, oh, this was the most beautiful thing I ever been, are the ones that tip the least. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God. Hey, Greg, I got a dollar today. <laughs> but the, uh, the reward yeah. of seeing them going through that. It's worth more than any tip. Ugh. It's pretty amazing. It's also funny to see, you know, a lot of people bring people here as surprises for birthday. It's usually the, the woman would bring, you know, the partner, the husband, whatever. And usually at the side, I can tell the guy's thinking like, where the hell am I? Who is this art queer in front of me? What am I doing? I can tell they're tense and not having it. And by the end, they're usually hugging me and telling me secrets. And there's a pink room upstairs, which is, it sounds very sweet, but it's one of the more evocative rooms in the house. Almost yeah, it's, it's looking at life without your rose colored glasses yeah. on. So it's intense. And there's something that comes in there about PTSD and military and this and that. Well, this guy was a veteran. He didn't volunteer anything at all. And later after the room, he came back in the house and said, I'm a veteran and I did experience what you were talking about in there. And I've never been able to share that with anyone and thank you for doing it and gave me the most warm embrace at the moment so you just it's incredible it's like incredible you know and he still wasn't willing to share a story with the ones he was with but at least something broke and yeah because you know? yeah. who knows what kind of grief these people are going through that experience that kind of trauma yeah we don't know traumatic you know? it's super traumatic. it's really traumatic and we just keep and that ripple wave that we keep seeing it over and over it just keeps happening over yeah. and over and it is trauma and so we hope that the art here can not necessarily relieve it, but at least be a stepping stone to, to relieving it, you know. It is pretty amazing what happens when people come, because I came with that family, remember? And the husband and wife sat right here, and they went through the questions. 
and they amazed each other because they didn't know things yeah. about each other. Because we don't take the time all. to do that. It's all kind of superficial. Our yeah. entertainment, we're sitting side by side staring at something. So this is just allowing the time. I used to try to do it without digital devices. That's getting more and more impossible to do. But we try to keep them as present as possible. That's the other thing. Is it's For any of us, I think it's hard to be in the moment. That's a, you know, a big old cliche. But I think what happens here is people are in the moment. They, are, they have no choice. Because yeah, it's all yeah. around you. Yeah, they're just in it. I'm in the moment with you guys right now. Exactly. Yeah, my guard's lit down. I'm about ready to cry. I don't know. <laughs> Just sitting here. It's great. <laughs> well, so we'll great. give you a quick tour after. Yeah. Oh, I would love that. So yeah. you're telling me that everybody goes through the space and obviously you can't experience it until you come here. But right. so you're asking questions or you're giving people questions to think about while they're in these spaces? Yeah, they're activations. So the, okay. so we do two things. We're, our tours are immersed. There's a guide. Okay. Sort of, there's a bit of a script and some storytelling and there's the activation, which is usually a question. It's something you have to contribute. It could be something as simple as what's your favorite childhood toy to... To who is a person that you lost. Yeah, to, to, that was to dear death. To I, mean, you. I mean, there's a lot of different ways. Each tour seemed a little bit different, but yeah, there's these activations. So you do have to come... And most people don't expect that. Yeah. They just think they're going to look around looking at tour. art. Yeah, yeah. So and so the museum, that's again, the museum word doesn't... I, I don't know what to call it. You know? We're not a guide. We, I mean, we are a guide in a way, but we, we're not docents. We're not docents. Yeah, That's what docents. it is. Okay. Yeah. yeah, we're You're just like we a... guide you through your experience. We guide you to be you. Yeah, so I always call fact, it. We don't talk much. Well, you do, <laughs> <laughs> but we really don't talk much as a guide. We just put out there the question or thought for them to think, and then they talk. They engage with one another, yeah. and we're just kind of on the outskirts, being. The guide, not the docent. I, I finally, about a year ago during COVID, I realized watching these smaller groups coming through, I, I started calling it a connectatorium. And so I'm like, wow, these people really are connecting in a new way. And it's not, it's not all the BS you hear from the event planners. Oh, we're doing a mercy. It's all real. It's, yeah. it's like, it's the real deal. It's not keywords. It's not catchphrases to get your client. It's like, it's just happening. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like the exploratorium. It's, it's, it's earnest. Isn't a museum. It's an exploration. Exactly. You're exploring. You're exploring. Right? So well, connected to our newest tour coming up is it's a science educator who used to work at the exploratorium is doing a tour called Colorphoria based on the science of color. Oh. So she's looking at the house through the history of color, how we perceive color. Some of the questions are absolutely like as mind blowing as trying to imagine you know the universe itself so that i'm super excited about that so we're changing some of the installations right now for that color tour and she'll probably get some science educators on board for that tour that's so fantastic it's super cool i want to come yeah, to right? that yeah, for I sure come to that it's super too. cool yeah. and then we, yeah. another time i came it was a tea that's right the, the and tea, it was in wonderland. A tea, tea in wonderland, wonderland. <laughs> And then how fabulous and then during the tea ceremony there's all these questions that you ask as mm. well they ask you all these questions about yourself. That's right. Yeah, we keep switching it up. Yeah, it was so fun. I mean, it's, we've for the last two years, it's been amazing. It feels like lifetimes. Of- Gosh. And are you doing events now? So you mentioned that you were doing a lot of events. I believe I've been to an event that you may have put on. What was it? It was at a winery. I think it was Jordan, but it might not have been. I thought it was Robert Sinsky, but that's not right. It's up in Napa off of... Alexander Avenue. What do you remember? What was the experience? I don't know. It was very circus, very Alice in Wonderlandy. It was back in a big warehouse, but you walked through, very exclusive. It was right. like $1,000 tickets, and right. I just got in on okay. knowing somebody. Okay. And lots of swinging people. 
and that uh, might have been us. There was a contortionist. I know that there was. I'm trying to think of the guy who owns it is French, Jean Baptiste. Um, Do you know the one? Um, Jean Charles Boisset. Yes. <laughs> yes, from um, Buena Vista. Buena Vista. Yeah, that's what the, what's the winery. Is yes. that the winery? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It might have been us. It might yes. have been a collaboration. Was yeah. it us? I think it was a collaboration. It might yeah. have been a collaboration. It's a big event. Yeah. Sometimes we collaborate with other okay. you know, circus There's companies. There's a lot of music as and well. And San Francisco is a big circus town. People don't realize <laughs> is that. It? People it's don't realize that. I think town. people yeah. are... People are yeah. into it yeah. here. Well, and also there's a lot of Cirque du Soleil comes here yeah. to recruit artists. There's several circus schools here. There's a lot of training that happens. We um, just did in Sonoma one circus event. Yeah, we just did a... For under, Hannah yeah. Boy Center. We and actually a, put up an Italian big top from our collaborators, Vaudeville Society, who also really? does kind of circus arts, kind of meets, you know, vaudeville, meets burlesque. So we all kind of collaborate with each other to do what we do, keep the but artists this, here. This was our, our... This was our show, but show, we collaborated yeah, with them yeah. to get the venue, to get the tent. So we do all kinds. I mean, we walked we in in camels, right? Yeah, yeah, that's really fun not being in the city. It's like we got our... Our grand entrance. We were both ringmasters, so we rode in on. We were training riding camels. We rode in on camels. Oh my gosh, that's we so cool! We had dancing horses. Wow! Um, so wow. it's a whole thing up in Sonoma where I'm learning animal husbandry, and you meet these trainers who care for these animals so much, and they, you know, and they work. The animals are are working, and they love it. Like yeah. you know, absolutely love it. But then you come back here for the corporation. Like no, 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 no. We want to make you treat you. We're not using any animals. No, I think the, you know? the, 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 yeah. what they always say is, "Are you treating um, the animals humanely?" And like, of course, it's like are. no, well, we're, we're not, not humanely. Animal animaling. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if we treated them like humans, we would kill them. Yeah. <laughs> right? They would be hungry all they day. They would be dead. <laughs> <laughs> So it's, you know, we treat them, well, that's, you know, I love Jackie Spear always ends, oftentimes ends her political comments where had this been a problem with dogs, it would have already been solved, you know, which is She's right. quite profound. Yeah, you know? quite so, profound. Know. That is profound. It's true. Though, yeah. You know. It's completely true. It is true. I always love reading her newsletters because I'm like, oh boy. Yeah. So are you doing events now or is it just We the are. House? So yeah. Marcel has kind of brought us back into a new genre of events. Okay. Yeah, we're doing a lot of nonprofits. In Sonoma, we have done a lot because I lived there for many years as well. And so I know everybody there. So we create everything from the save the date all the Graphics. way to, to dinner, tablecloths, whatever it needs to be taken and end up with the, the end, which is the show. So right. it's a, it's and a these full are production. fundraisers usually, They're fundraisers, right? full production. So we've cut, what I love about Marcel is he cuts all the fat. So there's yeah. none of that. The organization doesn't have to waste any resources or time they get to keep doing what they do serving the community whatever it is without trying to get a bunch of crap for silent auctions and doing it they, they don't we just do it yeah they don't do, do the do whole anything. thing they, yeah. hand, the whole it thing. So they hand it over to us that's fantastic that makes so much sense it because makes, it, yeah. it's, it does it's something that because I, I feel like people in the nonprofit sector are very do-it-all people and they can right. just do anything. And they, you know, sometimes you feel like you can, like me, I, I right. feel like I can just make anything happen. Because you probably I, can. Well, <laughs> but maybe not, right? Because, but like kind of sort of halfly, right. whereas it would become a shit show, like you said before, right. or hire a professional to make it happen. So that the organization can get yeah. continue they on their mission. Do what they're doing. Yeah. Stick to your mission. Stuff. We'll right. stick to ours. Stick to exactly. what you do best, which is your And, and that's your how we do with all of our team of artists. Everyone does what they do best and then can, and slowly evolves to do something else. But it's, yeah. you, but and, you can't, you know. And when we yeah. have the chance to do the whole thing, when 
people are there for four hours and for four hours they are completely engaged right they're not trying to leave no, halfway through we're, dinner we're not interrupting with you know a yeah. trip to Mexico where only two people are bidding against each right. other we only have about ten minutes where we ask for money and we get the money oh, and we're amazing. done now what's really amazing nobody's alienated how many times have we all been at an auction and you just feel totally alienated I'm like I, oh, I totally. don't want any of it I don't have the money to do right. this yeah so what I love about him is the game so literally $25,000 to $100 and what he does is for the $100 donation which everybody can give he yeah. gets the big donors to give it again he gets larger donors to match it mm. so that $100 can turn into so everybody every guest can give 100 bucks yeah. and, and that and can, feel and like they've, it, give, they're exactly. part they've given and everybody in the room the energy is like everyone's given everyone's contributed to it and it's really quite special and are you, you running know? the auction or do you get an auctioneer you're he running the auction. I do. he does it he gets up there that's why I bet I'm like Whoa, would ever seen anyone do that. <laughs> and so for this year, we already have done Hannah Boy Center, which is finished with that. We're doing La Luz Center, which is a Latino organization we're doing in, in August. September, we're doing Jack London Park, which really? is a fantastic venue. It's all outdoors. It's and they have beautiful. this kind of art and environmental mi mission, which is very unusual because it was Jack London and Charmian's London's home and ranch. Which had been. It reminds me of this house was dilapidated when they got that ranch. It was deforested. The land was completely useless because farmers had ruined the soil. And Jack London, who didn't know that much about animal husbandry and soil, brought it back to life. And now it's this pristine, spectacular place. So it's like just so we're bringing we're doing the environmental side of the story this year. Wow, wow. that's cool. And where That's is his fantastic. house? It's up. It's in Glen Ellen area. Okay. It's, it's now called. It's run by the states, but the, a nonprofit took it over because the state wasn't running it quite well. So a nonprofit took it over built a museum to the Londons and kept the land up. So and then February, we're coming with them by the Bay Health, which used to hmm. be... Uh, Hospice by the Hospice Bay. Hospice by yeah. the Bay, yeah. Oh. Yeah. Which is a great organization. That's Just wonderful. A great organization. They're doing kind of a, a Parisian theme again. But they actually, they actually give you the money and say, do it. Do it. Right. Yeah. And, the and that's the beauty. Which See is that how, that's how it should be done. <laughs> right. that yeah. I, I sit on be. two boards, and right. it's it's the board members who are running around going, how do we do this? No, no, no. And really, right. well, we should just say, here, mm -hmm. do this. No, and the board members should be like, he says, what should the board be doing? They should be bringing everybody in. They, okay. You get the guests there. I, I always tell them, look, I can get the money from anybody. I have no shame in asking for money. I'm not asking for money for myself. It's for the organization I believe on. But you have to bring the people in. Right. So that's your job. Right. You bring the guests in. We'll get the money. So part you. of our service is mobilizing these boards that are just shattered in a million pieces and being like, this is your job. Just Get them there. Yeah, bring the people there. Bring the people there. That's it. That's all you have to do. And then we'll get the mission. We'll, we'll get everything. We even do create acts around the mission statement, which is really fun to, to hear these missions. And then we create like a spectacle out of it. And that's so smart. So, and that's, we do it right before the ask. We always do it right before the ask. It's like, here's the mission. He asked for money. And then they're, they get it. And it's entertaining. It's not blah, 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 blah. Yeah, slide, that's slide, so slide. smart. Yeah. You know? yeah. Oh, my gosh. You know? <laughs> Because everyone like, eyes glass over at the beginning when they're like talking about the company. You and can't all even hear yeah. yeah, The worst you place to talk is at an yeah. event. Yeah. And right. no one can ever figure that out. I'm like, no, no one wants to hear you. Right, exactly. Yeah. Nobody <laughs> wants to hear you. It's true. Yeah. They're drinking and dancing, or should be. <laughs> oh my gosh. So you said something earlier, which I thought was so profound. And I've been sitting here waiting for the right moment to ask you. So you, you talked about as a creative person, you just have faith. And 
the way that people are finding you, it's just sort of happened because you've just sort of put it out there and you have the faith and the hope that it will just work. And I really feel like that is what it means not to like put everything into a little box, but to be an artist, you have to be that kind of person. And you, you just kind of learn that, all right, well, I'm just going to put myself out there and it's just going to work. And so the way that you have created this business and the way that you, for lack of a better word, pivoted during COVID, you know, you just, you harness your creative energy and you put it out there. And I, I really feel like when we've been doing this podcast for three seasons now, yep, we talked to a lot of artists and we're rooted in San Francisco. And I would like to know if you feel that there is something special in the faith of the creative juice that is this city, because you're, you've been here for 40 years. I'm not from here. I landed here. Mongolians land here. Right. I mean, it, it's everybody. It, do you mind just talking about? Do you mind? No, talking that, about that that's a, a bit? beautiful question. And to, just to start with the multiculturalism and all, I always say we're like a United Nations of artists here because just on our regular work day, there's probably ten languages being spoken. When wow. the attack on Ukraine happened, we had Russian and Ukrainian artists in the same room, really? creating together. That, it's amazing. It's really amazing to see the faith of the artist, it crosses all barriers, genuinely. Yeah. There's a painting at the doorway. I'll show you outside. Before okay. you walk into the house, there's a painting done by a local artist. And I just said, it was basically based on that. Because the faith is like, no one ever told me to leap. No one ever told me to jump. I just jumped. because, right. uh, and, and nobody helps the artist because they just think you're some low life, unimportant thing. Yet, you're what they value most. When COVID came out and they said, they kept sending, um, city kept sending things saying we're, I forget. Non-essential. Non-essential. I'd write back and be like, you want to talk about essential? What did you do today? You know, <laughs> what'd you do? Yeah. You know, did you it read was a all book? artists. <laughs> right. That was all art. And yes, our medical front is essential, but let's talk about the farmers and the plumbers that get your water there and the people that are nourishing us and the artists that are keeping your spirits alive, those songwriters, those movie makers, you know, those game makers, those are artists. More essential than ever before. Ever. Yeah. Right. Than, if you're a crisis, guess who you day, need? We got these things we're saying artists. every day, right back, being, ah. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'd invite them over. They never came. I'm going to give you a ticket, show you what's essential. Right. I think that, you know, San Francisco is a magical place. I don't know if it's the land, the position it is on earth. It's definitely the culture for sure. And we are going through some serious growing pains right now. I don't want to, you know, we don't have to get into that, but we're seeing some fierce tragedies on our street conditions are horrible right now, but yet the city is absolutely enchanting still. And more and more, I'm going to say the word again. I tell all the artists, all you creative people in this room, you are fucking miracles because you're here doing it. You keep elevating it. You keep caring about the art and the culture, and the pe which ultimately is saying, I love you to the world. That's all you're saying, really, to the core of it. So I don't know if that answers your question, but no, I think good. it's something we all share. Yeah. But that makes you know? me think of something that all the tourists that come to the tour, they tell me, they say, I came here, I know I could go to the Alcatraz or a Fisherman's Wharf or this or that, but I had chosen something that is real, a real San Francisco. And so that's what all the tourists tell me all the time. I said, yeah, this is San Francisco right here. And how real many times, how many times have we as a traveler got to go into somebody's home 
let alone an artist's home who's surrounded by a hundred other artists. That, exactly. That never happens. It never happens. Except so, maybe very rarely once in a blue moon. If you stumble on it or something. So uh, it's been really fun. I will say it out loud. We've been thrown off of all of the major platforms that claim to be experienced platforms. They sign us up and then they quickly kick us off because they don't like what we're doing. Oh, no, no. You have to follow our rules. I'm like, I, I don't. Number one, I don't know what your rule. Do you think I'm looking at your rules? Right. Do you think there's any rules in this place? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? It's like, I don't even know what it means. I'm not being contrary. Kick me off. So I, we're always kicked off all the platforms. Yet, and, and I'm going to have a little bragging rights here, is we're rated on TripAdvisor, which is an international platform, as a number six thing to do in all of San Francisco. Yeah. No. You're kidding. That no, does not, not surprise me at all. blows my mind yeah. still because this was just some lowly artist's house that I just happened to have a can of paint and a lot of imagination and started it. Wow. And, um, so, no, it's kind of amazing. Yeah. So all these big bazillion dollar platforms that always throw us off because we don't follow the rules, which, you know, here we are making our way, helping each other. Exactly. And helping us right so now, Susan, sense. as artists. You That's know. why, you know, when Beyond the Fog tour company is around and I guess it's going to be around soon. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. When it's back. Yeah. There we go. You're speaking out there. <laughs> we just came back. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, I love bringing my clients here because they get blown away. They're like, oh my God, we have never found this. I'm like, I know. And now you got something to bring them to that doesn't have to be curated. They just come as a yeah. small group and go through one of the experiences exactly. and come out the other end and have a picnic or whatever. Yeah. You know? And so. TripAdvisor is what I know of it. It's, it's by the people. It's by the so people. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's not, it's and not usually people rip your ass off, you know? Yeah. So that's even more it, amazing yeah, to me. Right. Yeah. Most of those it's people real. are, what do they call it? The Batman syndrome or something they want to, but it's very genuine that, how often do people say nice things about someone? Not too often. Not no. too often. And TripAdvisor is great because it's it's not run by anybody. No, no. It's, it's, it's like kind of a Wikipedia of it's just exactly. But it's not. Fa- it's just their feeling. And sometimes yeah. it's just one word. My favorite. Well, sometimes I'm like, wow, that's really cool. What does that word mean? Resplendent. <laughs> Resplendent. <laughs> Resplendent. Like, that's really cool. And it was like a non-English speaker. I'm like, how do you know that word? <laughs> I, maybe there's a maybe that's how it translated from some <laughs> mystical magical language. Yeah. So what's happening? What are you working on now? And what's your vision for the future ish? Okay, that's that's a good question, and we are working on. I'm glad I can answer. So right now, uh, as we mentioned, the Riddle of the Sphinx tour was a product of COVID. Well, now COVID is not over, but we are certainly moving into a new era together. So. We realized that that tour is timeless. So we had all these temporary installations out in front that you'll see covered in canvas and stuff. We're making it permanent. We're bringing three mosaic artists in. That frame you saw up front will be kind of a through-the-looking-glass mirror turnstile. We're making these permanent installations out there, which I've never done before because most of our installations are meant to go up and down for different events. So other than the house itself, so we're building all permanent installations out there that will deeply tell the story. So we're working on that. I'm really excited about that. We're bringing on somebody from California College of the Arts tomorrow and then two interns from Washington, Washington High. Yep. From Washington High School that will work oh. together. They don't even know each other. One of them's in dance, so I want her to meet your mom. Okay. And I'm already going to give her an assignment for, um, we're doing an Atlantis theme event. I'm going to have her do a dance of the jellyfish. So okay. I'm going to just give it to her to actually create and, and go onto a professional stage and maybe, if she can make it, even get paid a little something, which is a big deal. Yes. I'll never forget when I made the first 20 bucks as an artist. Like, shit, I can make money doing this? Yeah. <laughs> my check's framed. My, my first yeah. business check is framed. It's in my office. It's a big deal. It <laughs> is a big deal. <laughs> That's great. So uh, working on that, we're working on the Into the Rabbit Hole, kind of revising the interior tour. 
um, working on the Color Forward Tour. It's a lot of new ex- experiential things for the house, for the museum. So that's the Greg Anzwell Museum. Velocity Arts and Entertainment is what we do outside of the house at any venue. And Marcel and I are working together on many, many projects that are from the ground up productions, mostly for nonprofits, but starting to be seeing the corporate sector back again as they start. They really have not come back together into the workplace. No, but so, they are having yeah. events. I have been working starting to, events. Yeah. 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 So we're, and we're trying to really change up. I hate to say it. We have to really take the event planners out of it because they don't know. They don't have the experience of working with the people. They're looking at it as a design. I'm like, we're not looking at it as a design. The design's secondary. That's just... Right. And it just, it'll happen. It'll happen. Yeah. But we're not the flower arrangement. So so it's letting us get back in there and just because people do have a lot of grief and PTSD right now. Everybody does. Everybody does um, collectively. Everybody does. So getting back in there and just gently bringing people together again. So that's what we're doing. You know, so that's a big job. Also, there if is... They'll a, let us do it. There is know? also, we're creating a new... It's not a tour, but it's a, you being Susan to these lunches here on yeah, Thursday at one fantastic. o'clock when all the artists get together and they have lunch, they break bread with all. I've been know. doing that for about 30 years. I open up, I used to do every Tuesday and Thursday, I'd open the house for artists to come international, whatever. Artists meet each other, break bread. Some we hire, some they're just passing through. So now yeah. we decided that we're going to have, a, if you want to take a tour during that time and have lunch with artists, you also can do that. So for the first time, we're, we're selling a ticket. We're selling four tickets to our Thursday lunch, which is a very private kind of insular lunch just for artists. You were just at one last yeah, week. Yeah, last week. Last week, we had the cast of one of the, a, a touring cast in Italy of one of the shows, and then they get to meet all the local artists and sort of cross-pollinate and share, whatever, and then they leave. So now I think that'll be... We haven't sold any tickets yet. Well, but. it just started <laughs> one week into it. Yeah, you gave us a, a sample of the mini tour. Right. Wait, and it, I mean, yes, yeah, you were little, here. Yeah, I was here. Yeah, so that, that one's was really not a tour when you, It's just come over. You know? yeah. yeah. And yeah. that's when you found out about John's roller skaters. Right, yeah. exactly. Right. Yeah. The roller skates. Oh, so there you go. Lovely. Lots okay. Well, thank you for joining us. We're so honored to have you both on Beyond the Fog Radio. Back Thank to you, you, Susan, and everybody. <laughs> uh, really... Absolutely. I'm just mystified. I'm just, I'm still, my jaw is still open. Well, now let's look around. Just, well, I'm yeah. going to give you a little story. I can't story. wait yes. to look around and uh, take some look around photos. You. Yeah. So thank you, thank you, thank you, you so, thank so, you. so much. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much. <laughs> So Greg Angelo's house and Marcelo and the whole group of amazing artists there. It's just, I've been there many, many times and I can go back because I just love it so, so much. It's hard to describe. I usually tell people that it's sort of like Alice in Wonderland meets Cirque du Soleil, but that's not really true because it's so much more than that, especially now because now they're diving deeper into discovering who you are as a person, and that's part of the whole experience. So it's a once-in-a-lifetime wow. experience that everyone should be a part of, and everyone should go. The experience that they're crafting there, Greg Angelo and Marcelo, I think they're just very talented. They go beyond being artists and creating a transcendental experience. I mean, I feel like we experienced that too, Susan, even though we weren't watching the theater, we were just talking with them, but I was completely out of my head while we were there. It was, it is indescribable. And I also want to talk about 
Marcelo and the way that he has put together this amazing production company. It's an event production company where he will have a fundraising event and he will create a whole world outside of the house as well. So they're doing really amazing things and bringing in artists from all over the Bay area. Every Thursday they have this artist lunch that we're all invited to. And I really think we should all go soon. Yep, we should definitely all go. We, Jay, you will it'll blow your mind. We we have to all meet there soon. Oh my goodness. And some of the photos and the way you guys talk about it, like the immersive experience, it will definitely blow my mind. <laughs> and you know, speaking of blowing your mind, I want to talk about next week's episode. Oh boy. Yeah, so we actually traveled all the way up to Sacramento. And on that day, it was blazing hot. And you know who we ran into? Who? The governor, Mr. Gavin Newsom. And boy, was it an opportunity to be mind blown with who he is and how he came to be. I'm just so, you know, I'm still riveted and moved by that conversation. It was really an honor and a pleasure to speak to Governor Newsom in such a down-to-earth and wholesome way, which we can't wait to share with you. Be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook to see all the photos that I took of this incredible house and to see all of our amazing Bay Area humans and the locations where we are interviewing them. You can find us at Beyond the Fog Radio. Once again, thank you all for listening. And until next week, take care now. Bye-bye. Beyond the Fog Radio is created by us, Connor Chang, Tim Johnson, Tim O'Shea, and Arliss Hayes. Beyond the Fog Radio, all rights reserved, 2022.